0: I just forgot what it was and now I remember. I do have a trophy. I have two trophies. Just saying. It's a real thing. If I'd known I would have just brought them with me. If we're gonna boast, let's just boast, you know, like let's just let's do this. None of this is in my notes, so the official sermon has not begun yet, just so we're clear. As Steve said, I'm Matt and I'm one of the pastors here and it's really, really great to be together with you this morning. Um, well, Alfred Nobel um, once said that every man should get a chance to rewrite his own obituary. And he said this at the end of his life when he found himself realizing that he was grateful that he was able to contribute in rewriting his own obituary. See, Nobel was a, um, a Swedish chemist and he invented in 1866 dynamite. You may have heard of it. Um, and uh, now he, he like was incredibly successful. Not only did he invite dynamite, but he invented like, he had like 350 patents. He had factories and laboratories in like 20 different countries. And he found himself like just really, really successful. And um, in 1888, about 22 years later, Alfred's brother Ludwig died. He died and uh, the newspapers picked up the story, but one newspaper in particular misunderstood thinking not that Ludwig had died, but that his brother Alfred Nobel had died. And so they, they printed an obituary for Alfred Nobel. And in it, they described him as the merchant of death, as one who had profited from an invention that had killed more people in warfare than any of the wars beforehand. Well, Nobel had the dubious privilege of reading his own obituary while sitting at the breakfast table on that faded morning. And that moment changed his life forever. He um, decided that, well, there was something more than dynamite that he wanted to be true about his own legacy. And so he amended his will giving the vast majority of his wealth away. And then in particular, he created established prizes for for chemistry and and biology and physics and medicine and, and physiology and economics and literature and most notably peace, which we all know as the Nobel Peace Prize. Now Alfred Nobel made a decision that changed the legacy of his life. He wrote a different ending to his story And now today we don't associate Alfred Nobel with war, with dynamite even, we associate him with peace. So if someone is going to write your obituary today, what would they write? If someone was going to tell the story of your life, as Hamilton tells us, what would they write? Who would tell your story and what would they tell? Now for some of us, we may feel like, boy, you know what? That I feel in a good place. Like if someone wrote my story, this would be in a good moment. And for some of us, it's maybe a little bit more uncomfortable. We're not super comf- comfortable with the reality that other people are going to have to tell the story of what our life has amounted to up to this point. But what I'm hoping to do this morning is to show you that the power of the gospel can change any legacy. Any legacy. And as you leave today, I believe that God can begin or continue to deepen in writing a better, stronger more life-giving legacy for your life. Well, today we come to the uh, next sermon in our series, A series On Purpose, which is we're looking at discovering and then delighting in God's calling in our lives. And we've been working through the book of Jeremiah in particular. And we've engaged in some pretty intentional reality of looking through God's calling in our lives the fact that he's on purpose doing so specifically we've we've looked into our own false selves into the divine design that God's built us for we looked at calling we looked at the convictions and values of our lives we've looked at what it means to, to dream with God alongside him and to plan alongside him to have the kind of lasting engagement and flourishing for those around us and last week we talked about investment but what it means for us to dream and plan in a way that invests our lives purposefully, our time, our money, our relationship, our, the capital that God has given us. And today we're gonna to be closing this portion of our series, this initial portion of our series, talking about legacy. And here's the thing, the legacy of our lives is closely related to our investments. Just like Alfred Nobel example shows us, what we invest in today often coincides with what will be remembered for tomorrow. And so that takes us today to Jeremiah chapter 33. So follow along on the screen as I read today's passage. Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord... David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, and the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that the day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken." so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne and my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands on the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, have you not observed that people are saying, the Lord has rejected the two clans he chose? Thus they have despised my people so that they are no longer a nation in my sight. Thus says the Lord, if I have not established my covenant with day and night and the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David, my servant. And I will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, for I will restore their fortunes and I will have mercy on them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Jeremiah 33 contains this, this beautiful description of a future that, that, that God's been leading his people towards, even in the midst of just devastating destruction. They're entering into a time where things are only going to get worse. It's a picture in the midst of this that reminds us that God is never giving up on his people. It's a picture that compels us to remember that God can take even the worst circumstances and from ashes he can bring about something powerful, something wonderfully, wondrously memorialized. It's also a picture that demonstrates that God's sovereignty and his purposes and his plans and what it means for us to have a place in those plans with him. This passage is an invitation to leave a lasting legacy through our own lives within the eternal legacy that god is writing through his purposes in the course of human history which is, invites us to the beginning of my invitation number one of legacy invitation number one is live live in the greatest story ever told live your life in the greatest story ever, to, ever told The phrase in in verse 14 that we just read a minute ago said, the days are coming. And it's repeated 16 times just in the book of Jeremiah. Seven times it's talking about in those days or in these days, it's talking about destruction. It's talking about how Judah and Jerusalem and the neighboring nations are going to experience devastation and destruction. But nine times, Jeremiah uses these words or the Lord uses these words to declare that there is a blessing that is coming for Judah. As they stand squarely in the middle of what seems to be apparent and upcoming destruction, there is blessing to come. When Jeremiah says the days are coming, he reminds us that the sovereign purposes of God and his plans cannot be thwarted, will not be thwarted. Now remember, when Jeremiah is prophesying these words, we talked about this last week, this is just one chapter after what we talked about last week, they're on the cusp of destruction. Jerusalem is just about to be swept away The walls and the temple burned. They're about to become a desolate wasteland and be completely destroyed. But that experience is going to be merely a chapter in the midst of the story of Israel. It feels like the final word, but it is not. Here in verses 14 through through 26, God reminds Jeremiah of the covenant that he's made with his people. And he commits once again to that covenant being fulfilled in his time and in particular this covenant is marked by a king a king from the line of judah who will sit on the throne and priests from the tribe of levi who will be serving in the temple it's a vision of a promised covenant to his people now as followers of jesus and his people who've been around rcc for any amount of time especially last year we know that the ultimate fulfillment of this particular covenant promise has been fulfilled, is fulfilled, and will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is both the great king from the line of Judah, and he's the ultimate high priest. And when his name is called, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And simultaneously, what we know from the, book of, from, from the writings of Paul, is that simultaneously every day Jesus is our high priest standing in the presence of the Father and interceding for you. This is God's purpose and plan. This was God's purpose and plan. This will be God's purpose and plan, and he continues to work it out in the world today, and he will not be denied. It is for him and through him And to him that are all things. So, for those of us that are Christians, the quest to leaving a lasting legacy begins by getting in on early on the legacy that God Himself is working out in the world. By understanding and and living consciously in God's story, we find that our own personal story gain real, tangible significance. It is in there, in His story. It is in God's legacy that our personal legacies become eternal, lasting beyond our lifetimes, beyond our death, and pointing forward to the ultimate contribution that God is inviting us into. We're not the first in a long line of saints who will make an impact, contribute ultimately through God's story. We ourselves stand on the shoulders of others. It's undeniable. Over and over in these verses, what we read, and we've read read them previously, and we saw them again today, we hear the names of those who've gone before, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. And these were great, these are great stories, flawed people. They're told to us in the Bible, but ultimately, their lives' greatest meaning are found in the ultimate story that their individual stories were pointing to. You see, all of their lives were pointing to the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant to Isaac and Jacob. The Davidic covenant was pointing to someone. Their stories were lost and found in the fulfillment in Jesus. similarly for us, as we peer into the work that God is doing around the world in our midst, God is creating a future that cannot fail, and he's inviting us to play a part. And how do we know that it can't fail? Because it's rooted in God, and what he's ultimately doing. And one of my favorite allegories is um, told of a, of a traveler who was in medieval times. Anytime you say medieval times, it becomes very broad. But in medieval times, he was traveling to a particular town and he enters the town and, and he finds himself walking up to three workers, three stone workers, who are doing the exact same thing. And he walks up to the first one and, and he says, excuse me, but what are you doing? And the stone cutter looks up to him annoyed and just says, listen, like, I'm, I'm just cutting some stones and trying to put them down here. Can you leave me alone? And so the visitor walks off and goes to the second man and says, what, 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 are, what are you doing? Here. And he says, kind of with this decisive, strong look, he says, I, I'm building a wall. Committed, a, commitment in his voice. And, and so the, the visitor moves on and goes to the third man and says, what are you doing? The man looks up with his eyes to heaven and he says, I am building a cathedral. And it's going to be the most beautiful cathedral in the world. I love that story because it's, <laughs> It's one of the clearest allegories of how life really is. There's this key reality that how we do what we do is tied to what we believe God is doing. How you do what you do is tied to what you believe God is doing. How I do what I do is tied to what I believe God is doing. And so if I believe that God is up to all things for me, then I will make my life about me. But if I believe that God is up to doing something grand, if he's fulfilling his promises, if he's restoring and redeeming all things, well, then my life will move in that direction. The greatest legacy that we leave is inextricably dependent on the legacy that we believe God is leaving every single day. No matter what we're called to do, Our lives bear the shine of lasting impact in light of the vision we have of what God is doing in the world. And if we could only see what he's doing, that our lives are not simply cutting stone, but to the degree that we see that our lives are attached to God's life, to God's story, then we know that we are participating in building cathedrals. Oh, it is one stone at a time, no doubt about that. But the vision of our lives is connected to the story of God. Is your life connected to the story of God? Do you see him on the move as you think about what will remain after your life? Is what you're investing in connected to the future that God has promised to his people to restore and to redeem all things? Because that is what God is doing. So whenever we see what we're doing through the lens of what God is doing, then whatever he's called us to do will have more significant impact and eternal significance. So your first invitation is to live in the greatest story ever told. My second invitation to you today is to leave behind a story worth telling. Leave behind a story worth telling. God's story is what ultimately gives us, gives our story meaning. no doubt about it, our lives meeting. So the story that we are writing with our lives is indeed something that has timeless memorial. I think we can all acknowledge, right? Everything that we're gonna build with our hands in some way, shape, or form is going to either waste away or go to someone else. Everything that you own presently, that you've accumulated, will some, at some point, at some point down the line, will be owned by someone else. It's only the way that we choose to live our lives that have eternal ramifications. And we stand on the shoulders of others, right? As we just saw earlier, we stand on the shoulders of others. But those who will leave a lasting legacy with their lives are the ones who grow shoulders wide enough for those that are coming after them to stand on. That's part of what it means to leave a legacy. and It's what we see in the life of Jeremiah. That's what his legacy was all about, ultimately. Now we've already seen throughout this series that Jeremiah had a rough go at it. He wasn't always confident and secure in his own identity. He lost sight of himself. He found himself angry at times, filled with anxiety. He wasn't exempt from pain. He wrestled with questions about and to God. Far from perfect. But because Jeremiah lived his life deeply integrated into God's story, we're still reading his story today. Those who came after him continued to point back to his story and to his life and his writings as they were shaping and forming their own. Both Jesus and Paul quote Jeremiah multiple times, and we're reading about him today. So, as today, as we read his words again, we're invited to dare to write our own. And by the way, if you're not familiar with the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah literally had to write his story twice. had crafted and laid out the entire reality of what God had told him to do. And one of the kings of the time who didn't like what he was saying, didn't like his words, didn't like the implications, took all of his writings and burned them. And so he had to start over. You see, Jeremiah was so connected to his sense of calling and understood the reality of what it meant for his words that he would received from the Lord to be passed on that he started over. Now, if you know me at all, the thought of starting over the book of Jeremiah, of all books too, the book of Jeremiah, the lament. I'm tired just thinking about it. If I have to turn around because I forgot my cell phone, I can hardly handle it. Jeremiah understood that there was a longer story being written with his life, with the words that God had given to him. So he turned around and began again and wrote his life story again. A legacy that would remain. Which reminds us that leaving a legacy is not easy. But if by the spirit we persevere, it is indeed possible for us to leave a legacy that remains. But as Neil Cole says, this is a really important quote, finishing well is not what we do at the end of our lives. It's what we do every day of our lives. It's not what we do at the end of our lives it's what we do every day of our lives so so if you're sitting here and you're you're in your 40s 50s 60s or 70s you may find yourself going like yeah i'm really i'm kind of thinking about legacy stuff you know and if you're in your 20s 30s maybe even 40s you're thinking or or, or teenagers or nine you're thinking like what you know like it doesn't but a legacy is not something that's built at the end of our lives it's what's built every single day of our lives um my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, so my mom's dad, his name was uh, Eugene McAllister. Eugene Buster McAllister. What generation is he from? Uh, I'm named after him, my middle name is Eugene and he went by Gene and um, he, was, he was such a good dude. Um, he was a pastor. He um, grew up during obviously the depression and he, um, he tap danced for a living. Uh, though, though when he came to Christ, he kind of felt like he needed, He left that life behind until they got stuck in an airport in Israel with a bunch of people from his church, and he gave them like a little rendition, apparently. That's, that's the kind of man he was. He had this great laugh. Just, just every once in a while, Becky, he'll be like, you, you sound like your grandfather. Um, I remember him, though, he and my grandmother telling, telling me a story um, about how you know, he, he would preach. He was a pastor for years and years. He's an evangelist, he used to travel around and, and do evangelism and then he would take churches for a while and, and um, he came after a sermon and, you know, he did the thing where you sit next to your spouse in the car and you're like, so, what What you think? You know, A plus, A minus, you know? And uh, my grandmother, who uh, a bit of a spitfire herself, said, Jean, uh, words, words, words. Where's the love? And uh, it was a it was a challenge to him that he that he was really interested making sure that he was right, that, that people felt challenged and pushed and there was just this vacancy, an absence of genuine love for the people. And he took it to heart, began to become a man of prayer and, and read through the scriptures with this in light of this. And um, my grandmother told this story, it was awesome. She's like she's like, it was about ten years later, after this particular moment that um, my grandfather was on the, a local like, Peoria City radio um, program. And uh, someone came up to him uh, that next Sunday and said, Pastor Gene, I, I heard you on the radio. I wasn't sure it was you, but then I heard the love in your voice. And I knew it was you. And it was that moment where he realized, oh, the Lord's been doing something and and he built a legacy around people knowing that they, they were loved by him, by how he related to them. He was an evangelist, and so everywhere he went, he shared Jesus. A- everywhere. And he, he just saw every moment as an opportunity to talk about Jesus. And um, after Becky and I got pregnant as teenagers, and I'm working a job while finishing high school, and... Uh, they, he, my grandmother came down, and it's tough. Obviously, a tough time in, in my life. And he came down, and I was working. Uh, I was doing Chinese deliveries before Uber, but I was basically an Uber Eats guy uh, for a Chinese restaurant. And um, he asked while I was there. He said, "Hey, can I can I travel with you? Can I can I ride with you? Can I do a ride along? You know, the, the Chinese food ride along." Um, and um, so I said, "Sure." You know, um, What are you going to say to your grandpa? No. Uh, and so he he came along, and um, like that whole night, like I, 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 can, I can remember that whole evening. You know, we sat in my car waiting for deliveries to be finished. And then we went inside, you know, and, and, and he's just talking to the cooks. And like by the end, they all know him and love him. He shared the gospel three times. Like I get, I get out and take food to the people, you know, to my delivery and I bring it back. And he's like, he's like this really matters. Like people are counting on you. Like I'm, I'm going. Like this is not where I wanted to land. You know. Like I had ambitions for my life. This is not kind of. This is not the end for me. And he saw in it. He's like breathing life into me. You know. And I just never forget. We finished that night as we're driving back. He says, "Can I just, can I pray for you?" You know, as we're driving. And he prayed over me. when he passed away, um, he had several Bibles. And so, um, my my mom gave me one of his Bibles. And. Uh, what he would do in his Bibles is he would, um, when he read a, a chapter of, of the, of the a chapter, he would put a little bar, like a little hash mark. And then when he read it again another time, he would put a, like an X through it. And then when, when he read it another time, he would circle that. And if you look at his Bible, it has just X's and circles on every book of the Bible, like 10, 12 of them. This is one of his Bibles. Like, my grandfather was not a perfect guy. He had issues. He had fear issues and panic and stuff. So he's like, he's like you and me, you know. But he's a man who left a legacy. And he left a legacy that marks me. And, like, like, I'm proud that I carry his name. I really am. Like, he's someone who became the kind of person who would hear from God and respond to him. Talk about what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be someone who leaves a legacy? It's the stuff we're talking about when we talk about becoming the kind of people who, who hear and respond to God. He heard and responded to God. He's someone that was so grounded in the word that like there's X's and O's everywhere, all over his Bibles. Not because he was trying to knock something out but because it mattered to him because he loved the Lord and God had pulled him out of darkness and brought him into light. He's someone who had a very clear sense of what his calling was. And he's the kind of person who lived with people and made them know that they mattered and he mattered to them someone who prayed. He and my grandmother, I mean, we'd <laughs> and I would come visit them and they'd be like, well, we were just praying for you guys every day and praying about this and praying about this and praying about this. And he's someone who, who made disciples his entire life, actually developed the discipleship methodology that he ended up trying to teach me how to do. Like he was making disciples of me when I didn't even know what discipleship meant. And he's someone that Whether you wanted to or not, he came to their house, if you're gonna spend the night, like you're watching a worship Gaithers episode. (laughs) Whether you want to or not. And here's the thing, he'd close his eyes and just sing. I'm proud of that man. I'm proud that I come from him. It's a blessing and a gift that I have that kind of foundation. But that's what legacy looks like. And here's the thing, he didn't build it in his 70s. He built it all the way along, and he fumbled along. As I said, like, where's the love? Like, that was legit on him. And it leaked out every once in a while. God did good and deep things in me, and, and, and I now stand on his shoulders. As my mom stands on his shoulders, my dad does, we, we stand on his shoulders. And, and the invitation of legacy is how do we become the kind of people that people can stand on our shoulders and look back and say, this person had impact lasting impact, not grand dimension, there are no stadiums. No, it's, it's ordinary living faithfully with a clear sense of calling. My grandfather knew that he was put on this earth to be able to tell everybody he met about Jesus with a smile on his face. <laughs> he prayed for a year for the guy who broke into his car and stole his Bible. Yeah. Like, I want to grow up to be that. Do you know what I mean? Now, this is not hero worship of my grandfather. It, it just means that we're to become the kind of people who leave a legacy. It involves engaging with intentionality, with purpose in the totality of our lives. We don't do it at the end of our lives. Purposefully leaving a legacy through our calling. But how we live every single day is is precisely what the Apostle Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So let me just read this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Yes, but only one receives the prize. So run or or run in such a way that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we... An imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, literally without certainty of aim. I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air purposelessly. No, I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Do you hear what Paul's saying here? He says there's a way to run to train with our lives that is indeed on purpose, that is is aimed at an ultimate contribution that matters, that has lasting impact, and it doesn't come by accident. It is seized by staying engaged in our calling with God and being trained with certainty of aimed by the Spirit over the course of a lifetime to leave a legacy that remains, that lasts. That's why in this series, I kind of laid out those pathways, right? You, you gotta you got start asking the questions about what your calling looks like and is. You gotta understand what your convictions are. You gotta be able to be honest about identifying the ways in which your false, false pictures, false identities of yourself manifest themselves in your lives. You got to understand what it means and looks like to begin saying, "Okay, I want to dream with God. He's dreaming something with me. And How do I plan purposefully with Him?" And then we have to look at what we got and say, "Okay, Lord, here's what you've given me. How do I work with what you've given me in a way that actually moves your kingdom forward?" That's what it looks like to live on purpose. There's a term called um, the looking glass self. It was coined by uh, an American sociologist named uh, Charles Horton Cooley in his book, Human Nature and the Social Order. A looking glass is just an old fashioned way to say a mirror. Um, and it was, you know, 1902. But our looking glass self is, in his estimation, in his understanding, and in his deep research, how how we think we appear to others, how we think of ourselves in light of how we appear to others. And what Cooley proposes in light of all his research is that we become whatever the most important person in our life thinks we are. We become who the most most important person in our life thinks we are. Now, as we said a few weeks ago, right, that could be a bad thing. I can go bad places and projection of self, right? Or expectations of others, living up to what other people are thinking we should be. But it can be a really good thing because it is a true thing. Depending on who we give the power to have ultimate voice in our lives. I found a version. No, I'm sorry. There's a version of this quote that was, uh, I'm about to read to you that was written on Mother Teresa's home at the Children of Calcutta. It hangs in my office too. And it's a reminder for me in light of what God invites us into what calling and legacy show up as over time in the midst of uncertainty and whose voice we listen to. This is what she says. She says, people are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you, if you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgiven, forgotten. Be good, do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. But give the best anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it is between you and God It was never between you and them anyway. Over the past six weeks, some of my hope has been to be able to open your heart and open your ears to what the voice of the Lord is saying to you. How he's speaking to you, believing that he is and has called you and implies calling, vocare, voice. There is a voice that is reaching out to you, that is speaking to you, that is whispering to you, that is pointing things out to you. I've aimed to help you get a, a deeper longing and a clearer view into your calling, not by telling you who I think you are, but by inviting you to listen to the one who is telling you who you are. And our ongoing hope as, as a people, as a church, is that his voice will increasingly become the most important voice in our lives, and that who we are will ultimately, because it's him telling us who we are, will ultimately be who we become. And that journey begins and ends at this table, and what this table represents. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, like Jeremiah and Abraham and, 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 and uh, David and Grandpa McAllister, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance, endurance the race that is set before us. How? looking to Jesus, hearing from Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is the legacy of Jesus that we look to. Founder, and perfecter of our faith, who for joy endured the cross for you, for me. So that there would never be a doubt that he has not indeed called us to something because he's redeemed us from something, for something. And it's from him, from him, that we draw not only our identity, but our courage, our endurance, and our freedom. Not because we're trying to be him, but because... From him, he will do it in us. And so this morning, as, as you come forward and as, as you receive the bread and the cup, I, I, want you to, I want you to imagine sanctified imagination. I want you to imagine Jesus being the one who's giving it to you and him saying to you, this is for you. This is me, my life for you so that you can live out your life in a way that brings me glory, you satisfaction, and changes the very context I've sent you into. You have a legacy to live out. You have a legacy to leave. Let us become the kind of people increasingly who are living lives now in light of the legacy that God's called us to leave behind then. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this meal. This meal, it, it, tells us, it tells us everything. It tells us how deeply loved we are. It tells us that from the foundations of the world, you had, a, you had your eyes on us and you knew what it would take and you chose anyway. So thank you, Father, this is a meal for those who have been chosen by God for grace, to grace. And we receive it from you. Receive it in a way that empowers us and gives us joy for the future, in a way that gives us a clarity on what you've made us for. And Lord, we just pray that you would continue to open our eyes, that we may be responsive people to who you've made us to be. Help us to see you more clearly, to love you more deeply. That will change us. We know so. To the praise of your name in Christ. Amen. Well, if you belong to Jesus, this is your meal. So come and welcome to Jesus Christ.